Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Amen. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. Real quick, I also want to just kind of put my two cents in on uh, this concert that we're having with HeartReach. How many believe this morning, by show of hands, that we need to evangelize Kingman, Arizona? Raise your hand. Amen. This is your opportunity to bring a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, um, somebody off the street to hear about the love and the grace of God. Let me tell you, these folks in this band, they live up to their name. It really is reaching from the heart. And they are highly talented. Uh, they, so this is not going to be just kind of like, you know, oh, well, that was quaint. They're, they're very good in what they do. Um, they, they play at a level that is, uh, in my mind, professional. And uh, they, they just have a great anointing in ministry. And so we just want to encourage you to uh, invite somebody. Um, and if you can't invite anybody, you come yourself because beyond the evangelistic goal, they also have a real anointing to minister. And I believe that that ministry will touch your life and, and help you and encourage you. So we're going to be kind of putting this out here because we want, we, one, we want a really good showing because this is a great opportunity for this church. Can you say amen? amen. It's on a Sunday evening, so we're not going to be busy. Things will, and we won't keep you here all night, we'll, most of it, but not all. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, no, it'll, it'll be a good concert. It'll be fun, uh, and it will be productive and effective, and so we believe God for that. If you have your Bibles, <coughs> turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Once again, going to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture that we've been looking at for a few weeks, and somebody had asked me, how come you're using uh, the same text all the time? And the reason why is because, uh, a couple reasons. Number one, in my mind, this passage of Scripture encapsulizes the uh, revelation behind salvation and what it is, what salvation is all about, and what God intended. I believe it also reveals to us um, our specific identity, who we are in Christ, and ultimately, who he is to us, who God is to us. And, and I think the other reason is because is I don't know that we could ever exhaust this. Uh, somebody asked me uh, today, said, well, are you going to put the capstone on this series? And yes, this is going to be the last one in the series just due to circumstances. But the reality is this will be a subject that I will speak about for probably the rest of my life. Um, and the reason why is because it's just fundamentally that important. It's just that important. And it's something that I think uh, that we all need to embrace. Uh, I think some of us do embrace it at a level. But if you do embrace this, I think you can get it at a deeper level. Uh, If you've never heard of this, then this is something that you need to hear. And so I'm encouraged today um, because, uh, you know, when a sermon, when you can preach a sermon, when a sermon goes out and touches people, that's great and wonderful. And we want that. But I'll tell you, this has kind of worked its way into my heart. And and, and it it is uh, really kind of moving the furniture around in me. You know, have you ever moved your furniture around in, in, in your house and then you get up late at night and you bang into the table you moved and it's like, ugh. And so at first it's a little uncomfortable, but the reality is God is speaking and um, I, I think he's been saying this for a very long time and, and dealing with this for a very long time. Uh, but I think the church is really now starting to get it. And so that's an encouraging encouraging thing. And so let's look at this verse of scripture, starting in verse 14 of Romans 8. It says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, let me say this before I go on. (coughs) That statement, that sentence right there could be a whole series of sermons. Being led by the spirit of God. Let me tell you something about life. There is No other way of successful living other than being led by the Spirit. And and, and being led by the Spirit oftentimes sounds so complicated and so uh, difficult. And it's like, well, do I have to have a degree in theology? No. What you need is just simply to practice listening. 
the, prob the problem today with America is we just don't listen. We, we don't listen real well. And so if we take the time to listen to what the Spirit is saying, we'll find out that He's speaking directly to us. Listen, God is speaking more than we can ever imagine. He's got something to say to your life. He really does. God is speaking to you right now about your life. And you know what? God, God says if you're led by the Spirit... If you're led by the Spirit of God, then you are a son. And now, what that doesn't say, listen to me, what that doesn't say, if you're not led by the Spirit, you're not a son. And, and the reason there's a distinction there is because some people can take this in a negative view and they can walk away and they can go, well, I guess I'm not a son of God. No, you're a son of God. You just don't know it. I, I venture to say that the essence of that verse is those that are led by the Spirit of God, they know they're sons of God. Okay, they understand they have a revelation of something. See, when Jesus died on the cross, his work was not incomplete. It was not Jesus plus. It was not Jesus and then. It was simply just Jesus. It was final. He meant what he said on the cross when he said, Father, it is finished. That meant that salvation was complete. It's completely mine. And the moment I receive it, it is completely in me. Now, the, 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 the dynamic of life is that salvation would be lived through. Now, that's a process. I have to live through and I grow into that. It's just like when the disciples came and said, Jesus, give us more faith. And Jesus said, you know, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move that mountain. It wasn't more faith that needed. What they needed was to develop the faith they had. They needed to grow into it and to understand it. And that is the process of living as a Christian. Can you say amen? He goes on. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to begin where we left off last week. And we ended by looking at the differences between an orphan and a son. And to be sure this morning, or the orphan mindset is a complicated one. It's hard to recognize. I'm going to say this to you right now so it's clear, but there are people in this room today that are full on into the orphan mindset. They are absorbed into the orphan lifestyle that will walk out of here today going, that's not me. And the reason why is it's hard to recognize. It is complicated because oftentimes the characteristics of the orphan mind are in our society highly valued. And you've got, you got to understand why. Because we live in an orphan society. Yes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the problem is these characteristics that oftentimes we're very proud of are often very destructive. They're very destructive. So what I want to do is, if I can, just for a minute or two, <clears throat> I want to remind you of what we've discovered so far. I want to talk, remind you of where we came from last week. What we said last week were orphans, they see God as master, or worse yet, a taskmaster. He is this all-powerful, he is this all-knowing, high and lifted up entity in heaven that is, you know, running his minions. And if you don't do what he says, then you're in big trouble. And you better watch out because lightning is about to fly. That's, that's how an orphan mindset thinks. But a son, a son looks at God and sees God as a loving father. Amen. Now, there's a great big difference. Now, let me say something to you. See, God is absolutely sovereign. Amen. Come on. Amen. He is absolutely all-powerful. And he does absolutely have expectations of our life. Oh, yeah. But God works with us and relates to us every time in the context of a father, not as a master. He says, how do you know that? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray in this manner. Our Father, who has a kingdom. Our Father, the kingdom of God, is run by Father. And he's our Father. Can you say amen? The government of the kingdom is Father. The government of the kingdom is in family. And so we have a Father in heaven, not a taskmaster in heaven. Can you say amen? The second thing, orphans tend to be or are very often independent and self-reliant. Sons are interdependent. Now, here's the, one of those challenges. It's like, well, isn't independence and self-reliance, isn't that healthy? Don't we teach our children <coughs> to be self-reliant, to be uh, independent? When it comes in the context of relating to the Father in heaven, it is absolutely destructive. And the reason why is because you can do nothing without him. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, without him, I'm nothing. He goes on, he says, look at, I am the, the vine, you are the branch. Unless you are engrafted in him, life will not flow in you. You cannot bear fruit apart from the vine. You can do nothing without him. We must be dependent. And what we do is we see him as a partner in this thing called life. Rather than us on our own. See, this independence and self-reliance, this mindset doesn't come to the orphan because he wants to demonstrate his ability. It comes because he truly believes he's alone. Orphans live by the love of law. They love the law. They love rules and regulations. They, They like the law. Sons live by the law of love. He said, what does that mean? Well, orphans, they are living from this perspective. I've got a lot to do. And if I don't do it, then I am breach of the contract. I'm in breach of what God wants me to do. And so therefore, I'm just a disobedient servant. But sons live by the law of love. In other words, they know because they love God, they're going to do what is right. Think of it this way. Think of if you came to me and you asked me, if you said, hey, John, um, we want to know, have you ever cheated on your wife? Well, no, of course not. I never have. Well, why not? (coughs) Because, hey, it says in the Bible, thou shalt not commit adultery. And no one who does that enters enters the kingdom of heaven. So uh, you know what? Hey, Bible restricts me. Well, that'll get the job done. The problem is, it is infinitely one-dimensional. It is sub, it, 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 it's, it's lacking. See, that's what the law taught us. Didn't Jesus say it was less than? But see, if I look at you and I say, heaven's sakes, no, I wouldn't cheat on my wife. Why? Because I love her. I love her. There's something more compelling, more motivating. See, I don't do what I do because God's up in heaven commanding me. I do what I do because I love him. And he loves me and we have a relationship and we do things together. It's not because there's some law or rule preventing me or commanding me. It's because I'm in love with the Father. Orphans are deeply insecure. Sons are at peace and rest. Insecurity, church, is such an insidious thing. It compels people to do the unthinkable. It'll push people into arenas that they can never even imagine. Insecurity, that sense of vulnerability, that sense of being unsafe, that sense of being undone. We will do all kinds of things. We will sabotage and undermine everything that God does in our life because we're simply insecure. And that's an orphan mindset because nothing is ever safe. But sons, they rest in a thing called peace because the one whom they relate to, the one that they love, his name is Prince of Peace. He is Jehovah Shalom. My father in heaven is the God of peace. Can you say amen? And his son is the prince of peace. And his kingdom is in peace. Yes, amen. 
And as a son, my life is surrounded by peace. Though the world may be in chaos, internally I'm in peace. You ever met people like that? You ever met somebody that just seems to be at rest? It's like, wow, everything seems to be calm. Things are falling apart. It's because they know that peace is the antidote to chaos. When Jesus went to calm the storm, what did he say? Peace. He made a declaration, be still. Peace, be still. He declared the peace of the kingdom. That's a whole nother sermon. (laughs) Orphans are desperate for approval. They need to be approved of. Sons know they are completely accepted in God's love. Amen. See, when you need approval, you'll do anything. This is, this, this is one of the things that, that young men and women, young teenagers get brought, they get caught up into because they need the approval of their peer group. They end up becoming just like them because they want to be approved of. That's what happens in life. We become chameleons. We become just like our surroundings because ultimately we want to be approved of. We exchange our identity for something we've never were created to be. For something other. Because we want to be approved of. But listen, you have been completely accepted by God. I dare say, let me make a controversial statement. And I'm sure I'll get letters on it. But that's okay. Because I believe it. Let me say something. You're not saved today because you accepted Jesus. You're saved today because he accepted you. He chose you before the foundation of the earth. He said, I want him. I want her. I love them. I will die for them. See, we receive that acceptance. I remember one guy preaching one time talking about Zacchaeus who was hiding up in the tree. You remember? He was a tax collector. He was a horrible guy. He was ripping off his countrymen. He was hiding up in a sycamore tree, and he was just wanting to get a look at Jesus. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. We're going to your house for lunch. Now, we don't know much about the conversation at that lunch, but one thing we do know, something happened to change Zacchaeus because he makes this statement. He says, everything that I've stolen, I will return fourfold. Four times over. And I dare say today, one person got accepted in that room today, and it was Zacchaeus that got accepted for who he was. But God didn't leave him who he was. He accepted him for who he was, and he says, now you're my son. Think about it for a moment. I'm going I'm to give you a little foreshadowing. It is the principle behind adoption. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Orphans serve out a sense of a need for personal achievement. I need to do this. I've got to be successful. I have found, and I'll just be a little vulnerable with you, I have found that that has driven in on me. And we measure that by noise and numbers and all of that stuff. It's the louder your church, the bigger your church, the more, you know, everybody looks at it. It can be falling apart internally, but boy, we got a lot of people. And we think, well, see, I must be doing something. But see, sir, sons don't serve that way. They serve out of a motivation of gratitude. Amen. They say, God, I am so thankful. You achieved something. And I'm so thankful that you did that in me. I just want to serve you. <clears throat> I want to serve you in any capacity you would have. If you want me to wash dishes in the household of God, that's good enough. There was a guy back in the 1600s, his name was Brother Lawrence, that wrote a book called Practicing the Presence. And in the midst of that, he was, a, he, he was a monk in the Catholic Church, and he was down in the dungeon part of the church washing dishes, but he practiced the presence of God. And that man's anointing would reach out from that dungeon and touch the people of his city and country, and lives were changed because a guy washing dishes said, God's standing here with me. Yes. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Wow. Orphans view Christian living from a skewed point of view, a skewed point of duty. Sons find the Christian life a pleasure and a delight rather than a duty. Rather than I have to go to church, I get to go to church. Rather than I have to pray, I get the privilege of talking to my father. Rather than having to read his word, I have this love letter that I'm in love with. Are you seeing my point? 
Orphans believe they must be holy to be accepted by God. Well, what's wrong with that, Pastor? It says in the Bible, be ye holy, for I am holy. We read that as you better be holy. <laughs> Knock it off, that nonsense. I venture to say that what, that what that could read, it probably could read better this way. Be holy because I'm holy or because I'm holy, you can be holy. And holiness is a, a nature. See, I am a partaker of the divine nature. See, I found out a long time ago, there is nothing holy in my nature. But in his nature, it's 100% holy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So no longer is righteousness a goal I achieve, but it is the platform from which I live. Orphans believe they must. Oh, I already said that, sorry. (laughs) Orphans generally possess a low self-image, but sons feel positive and affirmed. Let me ask you a question, don't answer. For, For those of you that like shouting out answers, please don't. Keep it a secret. What do you see when you look in the mirror? That, that hit home, didn't it? Sons, they love themselves. They feel positive and affirmed. Why? Because they're living through the love of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what I want to do this morning is I want to quickly finish these comparisons. That's what we learned last week. Remember our goal this morning is to find ourselves. The goal of this, the reason I'm bringing this great big list to you is so that you can identify, so that you can go, wait a second, that's me. Not so that you're condemned or, or so that somewhere along the line you go, well, there you go, I'm an orphan. No, it's so that you can recognize so that you can change it. Can you say amen? Amen. So that you can have another perspective. So, moving on. Orphans seek comfort in counterfeit affections. What does that mean? We all love comfort, especially in America. Last week, how many remember, it wasn't so comfortable in here. Amen. 81 degrees was what the temperature was inside the building. It's a little cooler. It's 74 we like 74 better than 81, don't we? Why? Because we like being comfortable. It's, I'll listen to you, preacher, if I'm comfortable. That's another sermon. But what happens is we find comfort in addictions. We find comfort in compulsions. The famous one is escapism. We find comfort in escaping. See, we live in a society that doesn't want to get through things. They want to get out of things. That's orphan thinking. It's like, I just need a bailout. Man, I, man, I messed up really, really bad. Can you help me out? Can you bail me out? We just want somebody to come for the rescue. We, we're not really interested in changing. We just want to get out of it. Some people add all kinds of busyness. Or pleasure, or even hyper-religious activity. <laughs> Believing that the busier they are, the happier they'll be. <laughs> Sons, on the other hand, find true comfort in times of quietness and solitude as they rest in the Father's presence. Now let me say something to you. Solitude and quietness ain't all it's cracked up to be until the presence of God is there. And when you recognize the presence of God, you begin to sit in this, in this presence, this atmosphere that will wreck you. Yes. It will hold you. It will move you. It will reach in on the inside, and it will birth something in you. Amen. Nothing compares with the comfort and joy of you and I basking in the love of the Father. Orphans often relate to their peers through competition, rivalry, jealousy. And we see that so much in the church. It's like somebody gets promoted in the church. It's, why them? I don't like them. What about me? 
After all, I've been in this church 45 years. Mom. Am, I, am I getting too close to home? See, we, we, you might have been in the church 45 years, but you've gone done the same thing one year at a time, over and over. You haven't gone by beyond one year. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. He goes, I have to talk to you guys as carnal people. You're, because, look at, listen, because you're acting like mere men. Go read it. You can read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, you know what? There's so much more I want to tell you. There's so much more I want to give you. But I can't because you guys are so caught up in the rivalry of competition. He says, where is there rumors and wars and all the... He goes, all these things are among you. Why are you jealous? Somebody gets blessed. They get a new car and everybody's going, well, I wonder how much that costs. The pastor gets a new car. Where is that tithe money going? Right. <laughs> Come on now. That's orphan thinking. They believe they have to fight and scramble for every advantage. You, you, you know where this orphan thing comes out? Just take Christians and go stand in a line somewhere. We're not good at standing in lines. Go to a conference one time where there's a line. You will see Christians elbowing and cutting in line. That's what I say. What? Who are you to cut in front of me? I've been standing here all day. Get to the back of the line, Henry. Just go stand in line at Walmart. And watch Christianity unfold. I'll leave it alone. I'm, 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 I'm. Sons, on the other hand, they're all about relationship. They're about humility and unity as they honor and value one another and sincerely rejoice in the blessing and success of their brothers and sisters. Amen. Orphans, being self-focused, Resort to accusation and exposure of other people's faults while they continually deny their own. Here, I'll show you how this works. Because we, we're really good at cleaning it up. Come up to sister so-and-so, right? And we always couch it. Hey, I'm really concerned about sister so-and-so. Would you pray with me? And here's what you need to pray about. long as we couch it in a prayer request, it ain't gossip, right? <laughs> wow. Did you, did you feel that just kind of snuggle up to us? It amazes me the accusation with very little information that is projected through public sources like Facebook. From Christian people. I have been the victim of such. Sons. Do you know what sons do? Sons cover, not hide, they cover others' faults as they seek to restore those individuals in a spirit of love and gentleness. They go, look it, I got your back. We'll hold this. Look, I know you're struggling right now, but come. I'll, I'm, right now, I'm doing really good. Let, let me put my arms around you. Amen. Let, me, let, me, let me hold you through this. Let me cover you. Amen. Let me show the love of God to you. Oh, wow. Orphans resent and fear authority. Who are you to tell me anything? Amen. Who picked you to be in charge? Sons are respectful and honoring of legitimate authority. Come on. See, sons look at authority as, or those in authority as ministers of God for their good in their lives. They recognize 
who that person is. Sons are teachable. Orphans are not. You can't teach an orphan anything, but you can teach a son. Orphans are guarded and conditional in their expressions of love because their love is based on performance and agreement. See, I'll love you if you love me. If you're in breach of the contract, well, I'm out. Look at our love is covenant-based, not contract-based. So what's the difference between a covenant and a contract? A covenant says, I will be what I said I will be, whether you are or not. Right. Right. And by the way, marriage is a covenant. Sons love openly, transparently, and affectionately. They lay down their own agendas in order to meet the needs of others. Love for an orphan is built on the question, what can you do for me? Well, the love of a son is built around the question, what can I do for you? For orphans, God's presence, if they sense it at all, is conditional and distant. If everything goes all right, if they've had a good day, if they feel that they've appeased the master, if they think they've dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's, then they may sense God's presence. But even then, he often seems far away because their hearts are so close to intimacy. Sons enjoy an intimate, close relationship with the presence of God because they know, they know that his presence does not depend on their behavior. Why? Scripture says, listen, I'm going to quote scripture. I will never leave you or forsake you. Underline never. I will never leave you. Does that mean God is always pleased? No. Sometimes he's disappointed, but he is always our father. Always. Am I always pleased with my sons? Not always, but I love them. Nothing, no thing can separate my love for them. Nothing. I will love them with everything I got. If they choose to do wild and crazy things and end up in prison and squander their life, I will love them in spite of it. They still have to pay the consequence. They may have to eat a lot of dirt. They may have to live through a lot of stuff. But listen to me. I will love them. And if I, being an earthly father, can do that, how much more can my father in heaven? Orphans are in bondage. Sons live in freedom. Orphans are held captive. Sons live in the atmosphere of liberty. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now here's the point to all of this. If you don't know or don't understand your position as a son, you will live far beneath all that has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now, that sounds like a simple statement, but you need to understand it. Because, see, so many times, we, because of the fact that we choose to be one-dimensional, because we just won't go, we just stuck at the door. We won't go any further. We're stuck there. We just don't know who we are. We don't know who he is. And so, ultimately, what happens is we live far beneath what God's paid for. I, I have shared a story over the years of my ministry. And, and in September of this year, I'll be ordained 30 years. And so, <coughs> amen. And through those 30 years, I, I have shared this story because I actually think the first time I heard it was before I got ordained. And, but this, this story, it, it makes my point. And this is the story. There was a man that lived in Europe in the early 1900s. And he wanted desperately to come to America because ultimately America is the promised land. And he knew there was opportunity. And in Europe at the time, there wasn't much. So this man scraped and he worked and he labored and he saved for about 10 years until he had enough money to buy passage, to buy a ticket on a ship heading to America. He goes down to the ticket agent. He purchases ticket. It's steerage class. It's one of the lower, lesser levels. 
But nonetheless, he's on the boat. He's on his way to the promised land. He gets on the boat, and prior to getting there, he had just a few dollars left over after he bought his ticket. And so he went to the store knowing that he would have to have provision because it was about a 10-day trip. And so he went and bought cheese and crackers and that type of thing to sustain him. He knew he'd even have to ration that because it really wasn't enough. But he knew, I could get through this. I, I can get there. And so he gets on the boat with his meager supplies, his cheese and crackers. And he finds his room. And he's there. And he's thanking God. He's, Thank God I'm on the ship. Thank God I'm on my way to the promise. Well, that night, they had dinner. And he goes up on deck and he notices these different various dining rooms. And so he begins to look into the windows of the dining room. And he goes to one particular dining room that has the captain there. And he sees the captain with all these people with elegant clothes on. And they're eating and there's just this magnificent buffet with every kind of type of food that you could imagine. Roast beef and turkey and all the fixings and everything on there. And so he just would look in there and he would think, well, you know, I would love to be able to eat in that room. But there's no, I have no money. So he goes back to his room and he rations his crackers and cheese out. And he, and he eats and he's just thankful he's on the boat. Thankful that he's on the boat. Well, this went on every night of the trip. He was faithful to show up at dinner time and look into the window for about three, four minutes. Finally, on the last night, when his dinner service is just about to finish, the man shows up. They're pulling into New York Harbor. And the captain gets up from the table and walks out and says to the man, he says, sir, are you going to come in and join us? And the man says, oh, there's no way. There's... There's no way. I, I can't. I'm, I, I have no money. These people are obviously rich. They're wealthy. I, I can't even begin to pay for anything like that. And the captain says, oh, dear God. He says, all your food was included in the price of the ticket. And, you know, we, we do our awe to that, and that's great. But I guarantee you that that story is being lived over and over and over and over right in this room right now. See, what Jesus paid for was not so that we could stand at the door. What Jesus paid for is that we could inherit the kingdom. Fear not. This, I'm going to quote scripture. Fear not. It's in Luke. Fear not, little flock. For it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I guarantee you there is no lack in the kingdom. See, it's only making the transition from orphan to son that we'll enter into God's inheritance. Are you hearing me? See, Paul's letter, let me, let me just give you a little bit of background, and I, I don't have even close enough time to really begin to expound on this, but see, Paul's letter was written to Roman people. And you need to know that Paul was a Roman, and to boot, he was a lawyer. So he understood this. So he uses two very legal terms, bondage and adoption. Believe it or not, bondage was a legal term. And the word bondage, what it meant was it, it, it meant that you were compelled to work for the, 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 the commands of another, that you were dependent, that you were a slave. It literally is the picture of an orphan heart. See, when you are, have an orphan heart or orphan spirit, you are laboring for something that is not God. But the word adoption is a legal term that is derived from two root words. One, the first one meaning son, and the second one meaning placed. Now, the reason why that is significant, and you need to understand this about adoption, it's really interesting when you begin to study it. In Jewish culture at that time, they had no understanding of adoption. And the reason why is because the law said that if, if, a, if the father died, then the brother would take on the family. And so it, was, it just moved. So there was no sense of adoption. Okay, but in Roman law, there was, a, a, adoption was very real. 
And it was something that was very legal. It was a position. So when you, ad- when you were adopted, you became a son that was placed. You were placed in a family, and you were legally bound to that family. Actually, the family, actually, it was not a legal position you enjoyed. It was a position that the family had to respond to. They were now legally responsible for you, and it could never be severed. Never. You could deny your biological children, but you could never deny an adopted one. And this is what Paul is referencing. He's coming into a place where he's saying, let me tell you how intense this is, what Jesus has done. I'm going to use a legal term that you guys are all familiar with. He adopted you. He chose it. He placed you into a family where you now you have a father. And this concept is more than a nice idea. It is the fundamental bedrock of our relationship with God. And it is the express purpose of Jesus on the earth. See, when we get saved, we are placed, we are positioned, we are legally and permanently in the household of God. Receive a new identity. Our old identity. See, all traces of who you were pass away. All, you, they, actually, in Roman law, a, 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 an adult could actually get adopted. If he didn't have heirs or whatever, there was legal conditions for it. But he could offer himself, and a, and a father could say to an adult, I'm going to adopt you. What he was is completely erased. And he's gained a new identity with a new inheritance. Where he had nothing, he now has everything. Any prior commitments, listen, any prior responsibilities, all debts were erased. You were given new rights and new responsibilities, and you became an heir of the Father. See, the Bible says we become an heir of the Father, we become a joint heir of Jesus, and now we have an inheritance. And what this is, is a constant reminder of who we really are and who he really is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen to our text again. I'm almost done. In fact, I'm getting ready to close. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in. Wow. That's interesting. That's funny. That's going to go down in my book of things that happened at church. I'm right at the punchline. That's okay. See, the devil, he's a, he's a liar. Man. I know I'm a son. It's all right. We'll get it back. It's okay. Just takes a moment. Listen. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage. You did not. See, you're not in bondage. You're a son. It says you receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now listen. Then the Spirit himself becomes our, and he bears witness. He is the guarantor of this adoption. Do you see that? No one higher than God. When God's your witness, you're in good stead. Bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And as we bring this to a close, I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about something. I want to give you a couple powerful thoughts. In Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 28, it says, From one man he made every nation of men, that, he, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As for some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That word offspring is the Greek word genos where we get our word gene. 
And what this is speaking about is a general, generational family line. It's DNA. Let me tell you something. This goes so deep. This, this adoption process goes so deep, it changes your DNA. We now have the same spiritual DNA as Jesus. Are you hearing me? Here's the problem. Too many orphans in the church. You don't have to be. So how do we get out of it? Very quickly, very quickly. We must begin by coming face to face with the truth regarding our condition. And listen, and we must have the courage to face it. Church, let me tell you something. I've been around long enough to know that it's easy to dismiss this. It's easy to go, well, that's just another Sunday service. This is not just another Sunday service, church. This is the Spirit of God speaking to you how to be better. So I'm not too bad now. No, you're not. You're pretty good. But you can be better. You can be fuller. You can have more. God is the God of more than enough, isn't he? It's not enough to recognize the presence of a disease. There must be a genuine pursuit to change it at all costs. Say, so, well, what do I do? Well, first you got to you, you, first you got to make a decision. You got you got to say, you know what? I'm done living like an orphan. I'm done thinking this way. Yes. And then what you got to do is clean out the rubble. You say, well, what do you mean clean out the rubble? Let me say. For some of you, the reason that you have this mindset is because you've been hurt and wounded. For some of you, you've endured the neglect or the abuse of an earthly father. For some of you, you didn't even know your father. He was absent. And there was something missing, and the whole father thing just didn't work well for you. And so now you think like an orphan. And some of you, you've been, maybe it wasn't a father. Maybe it was a, a leader. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a, 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 a boss somewhere, or somebody that you highly admired. But now you need to forgive. You need to release them. You need to forgive them. That's removing some of the rubble. And then what you need to do is you need to repent from wrong mindsets. You need to, you, see, repent just means you change your mind. You need to change how you think. I'm thought, I, I think about Nehemiah who came, and when he came, he, he, he was there to build the wall. It's an interesting story because the temple had already been rebuilt. Seventy years Jerusalem had the new temple, but the wall still was in ruin. They had a presence of God, but they were still very vulnerable to every attack. They had this idea where, you know, we could go worship God. We could do all that. And there was this sense. They, they had gone so far as to stand at the door. But the wall was still broken down. Their identity was still in the rubble of the broken down wall. But Nehemiah, what does he do? He comes and the first thing he does is he surveys the rubble and he says, the first thing we got to do is get this stuff out of here. See, some of you are going to have to look at this and you're going to have to locate yourself and you're going to have to get honest and say, I have been thinking wrong and change the way you think. Then you need to have your mind renewed by the word of God. The word of God. It's, see, look at the word of God. See, somewhere along the line, what, the word of God is the language of sons. I heard a sermon years ago about praise and worship and the guy said, if you don't know how to praise and worship, then read the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms carries the language of worship. And so somewhere along the line, we, we need to learn how to talk and live and be a son. We need prince and princess lessons so that we can become who we are. You need to learn to meditate on the word muse on it. Get, get a verse of scripture. You know, take the scripture of John chapter 1 verse 12. As many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And this wasn't done after the will of the flesh or the will of man or, or, or but this was done by the will of God. That the will of God was for you to be his son. And let me, let me say this to the ladies out here. You are as much a son as as much as I'm a bride of Christ. Okay, so don't get caught up in the gender thing. Just realize it's about a position in the heart of God. And if it throws you off to say, I'm a son of God, then say you're a daughter or a child of God. It's all the same. But somewhere along the line, what you need to realize is you need to spend time in that word. And then you need to reset your identity. In other words, you need to set aside the old and say, no, 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 I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint of God who occasionally messes up. Yes. 
the sinner part was dealt with. You're a saint of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what God says about you. Reset your identity. And then finally, in closing, as we bring this to an end, you need to invest in your relationship with the Father. See, the only thing that I have that can even come close, the only experience that I have in my life that has even remotely the intensity of what I'm talking about in Jesus and in the Father is my relationship with Kathy. See, in the beginning days of our relationship, I invested. See, look, there is no shortcut on time. You could sit back and say, well, you know, I'm going to give 10 minutes here, five minutes there. Let me tell you something. 10 and five minutes ain't going to get it done. If all I ever spent with Kathy was five minutes here and 10 minutes there, it wouldn't have got done. We would not have been married. We spent time together. And sometimes it was just, like I said, sometimes it wasn't even, you know, we we go, well, I'm after quality, not quantity. Well, let me tell you something. We didn't have very quality time. We had a lot of time. Because just sitting on the phone, wasting money, listening to each other breathe, isn't really a good use of your time. But it did build something. I had a hunger to be with her. She had a hunger to be with me. We wanted to be together. This is where I find it all, always amazing, you know, relationships where they're like, yeah, I can be with her or not. You're probably not in love. Because when I fell in love, the world ceased to exist. There was one thing and one person, and that was it, be with her, and she was the only one that was important. That's my only understanding. So there was an investment of time, and we've got to get that way with God. Invest time. Sometimes you may just sit and listen. I'm going to tell you, listening to God breathe will change your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So invest in your relationship with God. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we're so thankful today. We love you and we praise you. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that this revelation of sonship, God, would penetrate our hearts and our lives and our minds. Father, that we would not... Let it be lost on us. Let us not be sermonized, but Lord, let us embrace this. Let us spend time in it, God. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.